My name is Kevin. Thank you for allowing me to be here today. Pastor asked me to preach and fill in for him, and uh, I always counted a privilege and an honor to be able to stand here because we have such an incredible pastor, and uh, he is an amazing teacher to God's Word. And he, uh, he explains it well, he presents it well, he's so humble in it, and so anytime he asks somebody to uh, take his place, uh, they're like, great, uh, I just hope I don't say anything bad. And so that's kind of what I'm hoping for. I just hope I don't say anything bad this morning. I hope that y'all hear the truth and hear the word of God and hear Jesus and see Jesus in this. So let's pray and let's ask God to bless this and, uh, and to take all the glory for this. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for everybody that's here, every soul that's in the seats, Lord, that's hearing, that's listening, that's present. Lord, thank you for their mind and their hearts. And Lord, most of all, I pray that if they don't know you personally, that they will know the truth and they will know what you did for them on the cross, in death and in life. God, may you receive all the glory. Speak your truth. Use me, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. In Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, I'll start with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. And you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. And then skipping ahead, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace. I know that this grace word is, is, is used a lot in church, and it should be. It's not used a lot, I guess, in our daily conversations. And so let me explain a little bit of what grace is. Grace is favor from God to you and to me that we don't deserve. It's a gift from him that he has given to us that we don't deserve. It's his love and his forgiveness that he gives to us that we don't deserve. That's grace. It says, for by grace you've been saved. Through faith... This is not of your own doing. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift. It's not the result of works. It's not how much you do or how much good that you do. So that no one can boast about this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. John Newton, uh, if y'all are not familiar with John Newton, you might be familiar with the song Amazing Grace, the hymn. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, and he actually wrote some extra verses in there that a lot of times the church does not sing. But I encourage you to Google it, look it up, look it up in a hymn book, on your phone, on your computer, and look at all the verses, uh, and you can do that even as we sit here, um, to see some of the extra verses that he wrote about the grace, the amazing grace of God. And uh, one of the quotes that John Newton wrote, and we can throw it up here, and we're going to put some sunglasses on, Mr. Newton. Do we have that? I think we do have a picture. That's it. Reform, thug life, yo. All right. It says, my memory, this is him, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. That's why the sunglasses are on, right? I mean, because 
How do you get much more plain than that? Even at death, Mr. Newton is saying two of the, the most important things in my life. Number one, I'm an incredible sinner. I'm good at it. Number two, but Christ is an incredible Savior. What a great Savior. And uh, let's turn to Romans 5. Let's go to Romans 5, 8. And this could have been spawned from this verse. Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we are sinners. And I think that one of the the most crucial lies that the world tells us is that we are somewhat good. There is some form of good in us, in this world. There is something in us, in our hearts, or in our minds, or in the things that we do, that has a, a good quality to them. But this morning, I want to give you the truth, and it's painful, but it's this. That we're sinners. We have fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us. We might do good things, but I'm telling you, apart from Jesus Christ, it's not good. It's filthy rags. It's rubbish. It's sin. The world might think that someone looks good because they give to charity or they do good things for people like the poor or for widows, but I'm telling you, without them doing that in the name of Jesus Christ, it's sin. It's blatant sin. And that's tough. It's really tough for some people to wrap their minds and their hearts around that and to really truly believe that. But I'm telling you, without us really truly believing that, What good is it for Jesus to go to the cross and to save us? And there are two two theological words that I learned in seminary. And I've actually been following this website. It's called monergism.com. Monergism.com. And I thought, monergism, what is monergism? And the definition of monergism is mono meaning one. And the last part part is uh, pronounced ergon. And I think that might be in the Greek or Latin. Ergon, it means to work. So mono meaning one, and ergon meaning to work. It means the work of one. The work of one, and in theology, what this is saying is Christ, God, is working. It's God working. The second theological word is synergism. Synergism means that one or more is working together for a certain goal. It means God works, man works, and they meet somewhere in the middle to work together. Now let's wrap this around salvation. Monergism concerning salvation means that God initiates. God forgives. God loves first. God stirs our hearts. God turns our hearts. He turns our lives. God has given you the parents that He gave you. God has allowed you to be born in the city and the state that you were born, in the year that you were supposed to be born. God has given you the life and everything about it. It was God that initiated. Synergism says that God did a certain part when He died on the cross, and now it's up to us 
from some form of good in us to meet God where he's at and then to become saved. It depends on what church you're a part of. I seem to side on the, the theology of monergism. And let me explain why. And I, and I just want you all to at least uh, give me some moments of your time to help explain this. Does it mean that God does everything and we don't respond at all? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that God has done everything. How can we not respond? And here's the dilemma. If you uh, turn to Romans chapter 3 and you start in verse 10, 9 and 10, you will start to read that no one is good. No one is righteous. No one seeks after God. All have fallen astray. And then it starts to talk about the person's body, about how our eyes are sinful. In Matthew 6, even after the Lord's Prayer, it's saying that if your eyes are bad, then your whole body is bad. If your eyes are lustful, then it has just totally messed up your entire body. If your eyes are greedy, it has messed up all the actions that you do. Our mind is warped. Our heart is messed up most of all. Our feet take us where we don't need to go. Our hands do things that we don't need to do. Our mouth says things that we don't need to say. We are truly, inward and outwardly, broken and sinful and dead without Jesus Christ. And I thought, uh, here's the question. Does man contribute anything synergistically towards salvation? uh, And we're going to look at this through the gospel story. Or is it monergistically the work of one, Jesus the Messiah, who is calling us? who is drawing us, who's forgiving us, justifying us, sanctifying or setting us apart to be made holy, and then glorifying us, uh, glorifying man to himself for the glory of God. And I thought that we would start at the Passover. And so let's just go through the gospel story. I want us to, to, to try to get in our minds what did man do and what did God do through the gospel story, starting at the Passover following Jesus to his crucifixion, and then during the resurrection. What did man do? Did they add anything to this salvific work of Jesus? And let's see what Jesus did. And so starting at the Passover, and this, uh, all during the week I read the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and I read the, the different gospel story uh, uh, from the Passover to the crucifixion to the resurrection. And, uh, and I'll use a lot of Matthew in this, but just a side note. Here's what's really amazing about the crucifixion and the death and the, and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, there's two or three chapters dedicated to it. And the Gospel of John, it starts at, at chapter 13. And it's kind of amazing because they go in to, to a room, to an upper room, and that is where Jesus, he, he takes his robe off, and he, he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And it's called, uh, in, in seminary, they, they refer to these as the upper room discourse. Jesus begins to teach his disciples using stories, and he begins to show his disciples 
uh, certain things that are amazing concerning salvation and life and death and just living for God. And so in John chapter 13, Jesus, he, he takes his, robe, his outer robe off and he begins to wash his disciples' feet just to show them that I know that I am God in the flesh, but I'm here to serve you. I love you that much. I'm here to serve you. And so from 13 all the way to the end of John, it's concerning those things and really powerful things. Um, and so here we, we start. In Matthew 26, it's Thursday evening. Judas has plotted against Jesus. Judas has went to the high priest and he says, how much money will you give me if I turn Jesus over to you? The second thing that happens is the Lord's Supper. Judas, he comes back and they have the supper and Jesus predicts that he will be betrayed. And he says, I tell you, one of you among us will betray me. And they start asking, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And Jesus When Judas asked this, he says, you can go and leave and do what you need to do. So Judas left the table and went to the high priest and found the soldiers because he knew where Jesus was going to be. Jesus, after the Lord's Supper, they go into the garden to pray. And Jesus, he, he, all his disciples follow him. And he says, I need y'all to pay attention. And he's like, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be put to death. And all his disciples, especially Peter, he's like, I will never betray you. I will never deny you. I will never leave you. And that's when Jesus says, Peter, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, he goes, you'll deny me three times. And the other disciples, they they popped in and they said, we won't deny you. We won't run from you. We won't leave you. And he goes, all of you will. And this happened around 11 o'clock on Thursday night. The disciples began to fall asleep. Jesus, he took Peter, James, and John. He took the three. And he says, I want you to pray with me. And this is where Jesus, he was praying in the garden. And it said that he was in such agony that he was sweating drops of blood. And that is a medical condition. You can be so overcome with anxiety and um, distress that your body can begin to sweat drops of blood. And as Jesus, as he goes to check on the disciples, they're sleeping. And he says, can't you pray with me for one hour? And he goes back to his disciples three different times, and they were, every time they were sleeping. And then after that, Jesus is arrested. The prison guards come in. They take Jesus. This is around 1 to 2 a.m. On, on Friday morning. And what did his disciples do? They ran. They fleed. Peter, even out of an emotional moment, he took a sword and he cut off one of the guard's ears. His name was Malchus. And Jesus healed that Roman guard's ear. And they still took him. And so all the disciples ran and they fleed. The next thing is Jesus was brought to Caiaphas, to his house. And Caiaphas was the high priest. And this happened around 3 a.m. This is from Matthew chapter 26, verse 59. He was falsely tried. He was accused, falsely accused by Caiaphas and a council at 3 a.m. in the morning. One of the things that happened within the Roman society in Jerusalem, especially at that time, was you don't have a trial in the middle of the night. 
You wait till the next day. You have to have a certain reason to bring somebody and to accuse somebody, and, and especially if they wanted to put him to death. So they were doing this in secret in the middle of the night. And then in Matthew 26, verse 64, if you want to turn there, you can if you're in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, they began to, uh, to say, Jesus is claiming to be God. He's saying that you can destroy this temple and in three days he'll rebuild it. He's claiming to be God in the flesh. And so in Matthew 26, verse 64, this is what Jesus, how he replied. He says, from now on, you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And that was the, basically he was saying, the Son of Man is a, a phrase used for deity, to claim equality with, with God. And he's saying, you will see me as God, and you will see me in power, and you will see me at your judgment. And so after he said that, Caiaphas ripped his robe, the people began to punch him and slap him and spit on him. Peter denies Jesus three times. People begin to recognize, because Peter had followed Jesus to Caiaphas' house. And as he was in the outer courts, people began to say, hey, aren't you Peter? Aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter began to deny Jesus. And he denied him three times. And then the rooster crowed. And Jesus said that, and the gospel said that, that Jesus saw him. He saw Peter at that moment. So how are we doing with how, what, what people are doing in this salvation work that Jesus is doing? How are we doing with what are the people doing so far? Not too great, right? Okay, let's continue. Jesus was sent to the Roman governor Pilate. And they knew that they couldn't get Jesus on blasphemy for, for claiming to be God in the flesh. But they said, we can get him on treason. Because Jesus is saying that he is a king or king of the Jews. And so there's only one king in this Roman area, in this Roman court, and that is Caesar. So we'll get him on treason. Jesus is claiming to be a king. Around 6 a.m., they bring him to Pilate. Then Pilate finds no fault in Jesus after speaking with him. And Pilate says, why don't you send him to Herod? Herod is over his jurisdiction. And so they sent him to Herod. And Herod was the one that had John the Baptist beheaded. And so Jesus, he stands in front of Herod after being beaten and punched and spit on. And he's bloody and he's bruised already. And Herod makes fun of him and his council. They just make fun of him and they mock him. And this was around 7 a.m. Herod sending back to Pilate. This was around 8 or 8.30 a.m. on Friday. And so Pilate thought, in order not to cause chaos, here's what I'll do. Here's my dilemma. I am able to set one prisoner free. There's this thief and murderer named Barabbas, and I could set him free, or I could set this man that you're just annoyed with at the moment. Surely they'll let Jesus go. Well, the crowd, Caiaphas and his council, 
and the Jews that were out there at a big crowd at this moment, they said, set Barabbas free. They let a murderer go. And they said, well, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And they said, crucify him. Put him on a cross and kill him. Hello. So Pilate, he says, I tell you what. He says, how about we just have Jesus scourged? And this is what has gotten me, and I'm, and I'm speaking on this tonight at Bible study. I'm going to talk about medically and physically what did Jesus go through being scourged and crucified. What, is, what does crucifixion actually do to a person? I didn't want to cover that this morning. It's pretty graphic. It's pretty brutal. Maybe we will one, one Sunday morning, but at least for today, we're going to talk about just the gospel. And so in, in short verses, it just says, and they scourged Jesus, or they beat Jesus. There was so much more to that. And if anybody has watched the movie, The Passion of the Christ, they tried to be as true to that as possible. In a movie. I'm sure it was much worse. But in a movie, they tried to be as true to that. If you haven't seen that, I encourage you to watch The Passion of the Christ. So Jesus is scourged, and he is made to walk the Via Della Rosa, which is uh, the walkway through, it's a street in Jerusalem. And they, they walk this yearly to, to remember what Jesus went through. And the Via Della Rosa, it just means the sorrowful way or the way of grief. So they scourged him, and he took his cross, and he walked through the street of Jerusalem to Golgotha. This happened between 9 a.m. on Friday and noon. And as they scourged him, they mocked him. They made a crown of thorns. They set it on Jesus, the, the head of Jesus. The thorns were probably two or three inches in length. Some people can actually die just from scalp injuries because there's so many blood vessels in your head that if you get cut... A certain, amount of, a certain amount, you can actually bleed to death just from your scalp. And so they put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a purple robe around him. They put a scepter in his hand. They ripped out his beard and they punched him. And they knelt down and they said, Hail, King of the Jews, to make fun of him. They put the cross on him and as he walked, he walked on what's called Galgotha's Hill or Calvary's Hill. And, this, and they crucified him around noon. Mark 15, 24 says that people began to gamble Jesus' clothes. They began to make fun of his deity. They said, maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he'll call Elijah to come and rescue him. If you are who you say you are, if you're God in the flesh, why don't you ask the angels to come down and rescue you? He said that he's going to destroy this temple, and in three days they're going to rebuild it. Why don't you come off that cross? And Jesus didn't say anything to them. There were two thieves that were crucified on both, uh, on both sides of Jesus. Ideally, in crucifixion, what they would do is they would take the crossbeam right here and they would strap it to a person and the person would walk just with the crossbeam uh, through, the, through the Via Della Rosa. And some movies have Jesus carrying the entire cross. Some, some have Jesus carrying the crossbeam. Some have him carrying the long beam. I don't know how any person was able to carry that. 
But Jesus, at these moments, he emptied himself to be fully man, even though he was fully God. And he took the beatings, and he took the mockery. And after they had whipped him and scourged him, he had to carry part of his cross, or the whole cross, I don't know. But he had to carry his cross. And as he was being crucified, they would put nails uh, around his wrist. They would tie up the arms. They would put a nail in his feet. And they would have his legs bent at about a 45 degree angle. And most people die on a cross of asphyxiation. Is that right? Okay. Try to mutter that out. I'm not a medical person, but they suffocate. That's what that word means. They suffocate. They can't breathe because their lungs begin to collapse. And as they, as they, as they struggle to pull themselves up on the cross, they take a breath, and then they go back down. And it says a lot of times that their shoulders or their hips or their, their knees a lot of times are, are, uh, are out of socket because of how uh, um, contorted that they have to be to be on the cross. So to have your joints out of socket and to be able to pull yourself up, it takes an enormous amount of strength. Some people would be on the cross for days, some hours. One of the thieves on one of the sides of Jesus, he mocks him. And the other one, he says, will you remember me in paradise? Will you remember me, Jesus? And Jesus says, truly, I will remember you in paradise. And at this time, Jesus says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And this says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason Jesus was was asking God this certain question at this time is because Jesus had to become sin. Old Testament. In the Old Testament, after Adam and Eve had sinned, there was the, the... you had to take an animal and shed the blood of an animal, of an innocent animal, of a pure, clean animal. And a priest would take that and sprinkle it on the altar. And they would, the priest would ask for the forgiveness of your sins. And what Jesus was doing, he became what, was, what, what the Bible calls, he became the Lamb of God, a perfect Lamb. And Jesus took the sin of the world on himself. And he became so disgusting and so ugly because he was made sin for us, that God, his Father, turned his back on him. He couldn't look at him. And Jesus felt it. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why won't you even look at me? And then at that time, Jesus commits his spirit and he dies on the cross. Jesus is placed in the tomb The tomb belonged to a man named Joseph of Arimathea. The Roman soldiers are ordered to guard that tomb because the Romans, they said, and and some of the the Jewish guard, they said, you know what? He said that if you tear this temple down in three days, he'll rebuild it. What if the disciples come in here and steal his body? Then they'll claim that he's still living. Put some guards in front of that tomb so that that doesn't happen. Well, 
That didn't happen. Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated death. And so the Roman soldiers and some of the Jews had to make up a story that his body was stolen. And that's what happened to Jesus. He did not raise from the grave. He did not defeat death. He was stolen. But the Bible says it different. He defeated death. On the third day, he rose. Jesus defeated death and the grave. Y'all look at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I want to read verses 1 through 8. Luke 24. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. They took spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. They were angels. And as they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. Jesus predicted it. He knew it. He knew it that on the third day that he would defeat death. Now, let's look at this just theologically and practically. What did people do in this gospel story? This is what people did. They betrayed Jesus. They fell away. They fell asleep. They scattered. They denied him. They ran. They lied. They accused him. They spit on him. They punched him. They slapped him. They mocked him. They whipped him. They beat him. They, they even killed themselves. Judas killed himself. He hung himself on a tree. They crucified Jesus. They didn't trust him. They made fun of his deity, his claim to be God, and him being God in the flesh. They even doubted him. Matthew 27, 17. And this, it says that even after the resurrection, even after Jesus defeated the grave, it said that some of his disciples believed and some doubted. Some still doubted at that time. What did Jesus do in this gospel story? This is what Jesus did. He stayed patient. Unbelievably patient. Especially with his disciples. Jesus loved. He forgives. He draws. In John 6, it says that, um, that, that Jesus, it says, Jesus draws people to himself and they cannot be cast out. He draws them. He loves them so much that you find uh, in your situation, in your life, you're saying, why am I at church? Why do I go there? Why do I sing these songs? Why do I listen to the gospel? Why do I I pray to him? It's because he has drawn you or he is drawing you. He rescues us from sin. He gives grace. James 4, 6 says that he gives grace to the humble He takes away our sin. He takes away our shame. He took our punishment. Did you know that our sin should have put us on the cross? That should be us. That should be our punishment. Why would somebody so sinful not die a death like that? But Jesus took it. He took our sin. 
Jesus took death to the cross, Philippians 2.8. It says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He conquered death. He defeated Satan, and he gives life. In John 10.10, it says he gives life, and he gives it more abundantly. He gives eternal life. He adopts us to be his sons and daughters. He justifies us. He declares us righteous. He makes us holy through sanctification. He even allows us to share in the glory with his Father God. He saves us by his power. That's what Jesus does. So what exactly do we add to the salvation of Jesus? Our rebellious sin? Is that what we give him? A a dirty heart? A dirty mind, bad words, horrible actions, a dead person. I'm telling you this morning, one of the reasons why John Newton wrote Amazing Grace is because the grace that he gave is amazing. It says that we don't boast in that. Troy preached on that this morning. I say he preached on it. That's really what he does. He said that this morning. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not of your works. Your works are gross. It's not because of your good heart. Your heart is nasty. It's not because of your mind. We don't even want to go there. It's not because of what you say or do. It's not good enough. You always fall short of the glory of God. So now what? Amazing grace. It's unmerited favor. It's a gift from God that he has given to us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We didn't say anything to deserve it. We're not good enough to receive it, but he gave it to us. And that's why it says amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind but now I see. My final thought today, and I thought we'd close with a song, but I think that maybe we'll just close with prayer. Um, it's just repeating John Newton. I am a great sinner, but Jesus Christ is an incredible Savior. What a great Savior. He loves us that much. If you are not a Christian, if you are not saved, I encourage you to hear this message of the gospel, that Jesus, he loves you. And by his grace, you can be saved. And so if you are here, and you are hearing this message, and you don't know Jesus, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that He is the Lord of all. And it says, you will be saved. People ask Peter this question in the next book, in Acts, after the Gospels. They says, Peter, what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent. Repent of your sins. Turn away from your sins and be baptized. Believing, of course, was a given. Believe that Jesus conquered death and will give you life 
forever. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much, God. Thank you that the only reason that we're here this morning is because of your love and your forgiveness. The only reason that we can sing songs and listen to you and listen about you and hear truth from your word is because you have allowed us to do that. Lord, it's the work of one. Why do we respond to you? Because you love this first. Why do we love you with our whole heart? God, you put it in our hearts to say, why shouldn't we love you with our whole heart? You forgave us of our nasty sin. You forgave us. Lord, we should die a horrible death. We should totally be separated from you forever. But for some reason, you saw something in us. You loved us. And you adopted us to be your sons and daughters. Thank you so much for that. God, I just pray for the souls right now, if they don't know you, that they will. Help them surrender their life to you, to believe in you, to confess with their mouth, to believe in their heart that you are Jesus and you are the Messiah and you are the only way to heaven. We praise you this morning and we say amen in the name of Jesus. Amen.